Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 2 or on your device. We're going to continue to trek through this amazing gospel according to John. And, uh, and last week, John introduced us to the first of Jesus' major miracles. And his life was a miracle. His death was a miracle. His resurrection was a miracle. Everything Jesus has ever done is miraculous because he is God. And that's what we've unpacked in the first few weeks of this gospel. And so today, it's no less amazing, and today we're going to see miracle number two, although seldom is what he did on this particular day in this text considered miraculous. Uh, last week, he converted 150 to 180 gallons of water to wine um, for a wedding party. It was a small venue. It was just a wedding, and, and uh, he demonstrated it as he often does from a heart of compassion on a private platform. And today it changes. He, he, his miracle today is from a heart of conviction on a public platform. Most of his miracles are private. Even when he fed the 5,000, the ones who really saw what was going on were just the few who had the baskets watching it miraculously be reproduced. Um, so God, uh, Jesus does these things on a small scale to demonstrate to those most intimate of his followers. And he does that today. Often we live in a sign-seeking world where everybody wants to see this great thing. And I just want to tell you right now, no matter where you are in your journey with God found in Jesus, he will demonstrate the miraculous nature of who he is in your personal world. And, and if, if you will get close to him, listen, he will get close to you. And so that's what we're going to see a little bit of today. And, um, <clears throat> and today we're going to see that his, he has a, another side. Often people say, well, God is love, and he is. Oh, Jesus is full of mercy, and he is. Jesus demonstrates and offers grace, and he does. But there's another side to Jesus, which we will see today, that Jesus has a holy, righteous, wrathful side. Now, we don't like to talk about it, Okay. We like the happy, gracious Jesus. You know you do. I do. Okay? It's like our parents. We like our happy parents. When our parents are unhappy and they're demonstrating wrath on us as children, we don't like that side of them, but it takes both sides of that to demonstrate the kind of love that he has. Now, what we're going to see today is just a small drop, a small glimpse, a small example of the holy, righteous wrath and anger that Jesus has in him, and one day will be demonstrated and poured out, and people don't want to talk about it, okay? And people say, well, what is this wrath you're talking about? We saw when we studied the book of the Revelation that one day God will pour his wrath out upon sinful man. Who does it include? Those who shake their fist in denial and rejection of Jesus. Those who accept some alternative, compromised, personal preference way of approaching God other than Jesus. And thirdly, those who pretend to be a child of God, those who profess faith without possessing faith. 
And there's a lot of those. There's a lot of people who profess Christianity, but they don't possess Christianity. One day, that will be revealed through the perfect, Jesus will see it through the perfect lens of his holiness, and he will pour out wrath against those outside of Jesus' grace. Now, Isaiah refers to it, Isaiah chapter 1, and beginning in verse 10, he's speaking to the nation of Israel, and this is what the prophet says. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Verse 12, when you come uh, to appear before me, who ask you, who asked this of you, this trampling in my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, and your convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Now, how's that for a you know, little scathing review of your church service? All right? I mean, it's awful. All right? And that's how he viewed the nation of Israel in their, in their half-hearted, watered-down, diluted, spineless forms of worship. It was nowhere close to what God deserved. Nowhere close to what God had uh, uh, expected and commanded of them. And, and so spin the table forward. He wrote that. That's 3,500 years ago. What about today? You know? How would he review our service, our worship? How did we come into worship today? Because often we don't come prepared to experience God. We just show up and we just bring our baggage with us. Say, here I am, Jesus, with all my baggage. You know, bless me. I dare you to bless me if you can. You know, and our countenance reveals it and our heart is cold and we walk away unchanged. But there's a side of Jesus that he absolutely detests. That kind of attitude when we come to church or when we come in assembly before him. God is ty- was tired of the hypocrisy when Isaiah wrote. Jesus was tired of the hypocrisy we'll see today. And then today in 2019, he still sometimes gets frustrated with our artificial worship and our hypocrisy. So today's message is called A House Fit for a King. Tell your neighbor, it needs to be clean enough for a king. Now this house we're talking about is the temple of God. The temple is the place where, that represented the presence of God. And we're going to take a hard look at that today, and it's going to be a little convicting, okay? So I've gotten to chew on it all week. I'm going to share the love. That's how this preacher does things. The first thing on the back of your worship guide I want you to see is a celebration. A celebration. It is a celebration at the house. Let me tell you, when you come to church on Sunday, the house of God, what we call the house of God, it should be a celebration. Okay, you should be excited to get here. Uh, Sometimes we just don't get that. We had a long week, we had a hard week, we had a long night with little sleep, and it's like, yeah, I got to go to church. I read an interesting Facebook post just last week that says, you know, I I didn't enjoy church much growing up, but now I, I love coming to church. I look forward to it all week long. I hope you do. I hope you enjoy coming to church. You should. It is an opportunity to have an encounter with God. I enjoy it. I mean, I, I had to prepare all week. I still love coming to church. There's, there's nothing greater for me than to come to church on Sunday. So I hope you 
get, the, get in on the celebration. John chapter 2, verse 12. After this, he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there a few days. Now the Jewish feast of Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So now here's what happens. He's just, he's freshly appointed his disciples. He's traveling. They've, they've been to the wedding, man. They're on this little trek, this little journey. And so it's Jesus, Mary, his mother, his brothers by Mary. Mary had other children. Um, and then his freshly appointed disciples. And so they go to Capernaum. And while they're at Capernaum, it's getting close to a Passover feast. So Jesus, and later we'll find out, and his disciples, they go to Jerusalem for the feast. Now, the Passover feast is a big deal. It is the biggest deal on the Jewish calendar. It was, it was when, they, uh, when, when God released Israel from captivity to Egypt, and it still is today. If you're a Jew, Passover feast is still the most celebrated, the most commemorated day on your Jewish calendar. So what is that? Well, if you read the Old Testament, you will remember that, that, uh, that the nation of Israel had gone to Egypt for protection from the famine. And Joseph rose to fame and power, man, God's hand was upon him. But the Bible says after years had gone by, Pharaoh forgot about that relationship with Joseph and his God. And also the nation of Israel had multiplied, man, they were fertile. And they had, had risen and there were as many or more Israelites in Egypt than there were Egyptians. And so the, the current Pharaoh, the leader, began to worry. He says, they're going to rise up, they're going to kill us. And so they put them in slavery, in bondage. And, and they, they changed their relationship. For 400 years now, the nation of Israel has been in captivity to Egypt. And the people begin to cry out to God, God, when will we be delivered? When are you going to set us free? When will we experience this promised land that we're supposed to have? So in Exodus, we find out there's a day that came after all of the plagues. The final plague was the death angel would come through town and kill the firstborn animal or human uh, of the family, the firstborn. And so Moses gets instructions, and he tells them, he says, listen, if you don't want the, pa the Passover, the, if you want the death uh, angel to pass over, you need to take a, 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 a sacrificial animal, a calf, a lamb, a bird, whatever your family, depending on the size of your family and your resources, and you need to sacrifice it, and then you need to cook it, and your family needs to eat it, and you take the blood of that sacrifice, and you smear it around the door of your home. You take a hyssop, a, a, like a, a brush, and you brush it on the door. So when the, the death angel the, comes through, when he sees that you're under the blood of sacrifice, he'll go on by and will not take the firstborn of your family. So that's what they did. Now, the next day, the process of deliverance where, where the nation of Israel, Israel would leave Egypt and begin their journey Okay, it was marked by this night when the death angel came through and passed over those under the blood. Ever since that day, the Jews commemorate, celebrate, and remember that night when, they, when, their, when their freedom was sealed, when their, when their freedom was put into place. All right? Now, that's what's happening here. 2,000 years ago, Jesus looks up and he says, hey, it's Passover feast time and we're going. 
Now, Jesus is 30 years old. Probably he has been there. Probably this is his 30th time. Okay, the Bible doesn't record much about Jesus's childhood, but it does say when he was 12, he went to the he went to the temple for Passover, and he began to teach. and And the, the sages, the scholars, the 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 the, the, the biblical best uh, were amazed at him because he was the living word of God, and he knew, he memorized, he wrote it, the Old Testament, and he understood it, and they're amazed. So he probably has been there 29 times before, now his 30th trip, and he's going to reveal what he sees when he gets there. Now, let me explain how big a deal this day is. Passover feast in Jerusalem. Historians like Josephus and Tacitus tell us that there could have been between a million and three million people that would converge on Jerusalem. A big deal. And they're there to celebrate their freedom, when they were taken out of bondage, when the Passover, uh, when, the, when the death angel passed over. Now, to do that, they had to provide a sacrifice. Now, keep in mind, if there's a million to three million people coming to town, they're going to sacrifice tens of thousands of animals. It's a really big deal. It was a bloodbath of sacrifice. Where's PETA when you need them? I mean, it's a big, big deal, all right? That's how big, it's a big deal. Tell your neighbor, this is a big deal. And so they show up for the big deal because the temple was a place where you could encounter God, a place where people gathered for sacrifice, for prayer, for consecration, for praise, for ceremonies of remembering, for fellowship, and to have an up-close, personal, fresh encounter with God. A big deal. You know, Sunday mornings, that's what this should be about. It shouldn't be about checking a religious box. It shouldn't be about seeing what the preacher has to say. It shouldn't be about singing a song. It should be about having an up close, personal, real-time experience with the true and living God. Because I want to tell you something. He is madly in love with you. I don't know why, but he is, okay? He's madly in love with me, and I can give you a list as long as two arms of why he should not be in love with me. And he is. And he wants an encounter. Now, you can have an encounter out in the yard. You can have an encounter laying in your bed. But God has ordained that when we come together and assemble together, he wants to touch us corporately. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, that's what it was for, and that's why they gathered together. But there's a problem. Sometimes it's not what it's supposed to be. It just changes. It drifts away from what the intention was to the place that it has become. Where church is no longer, or in their case, where the temple is no longer what God chose it and ordained it to be. Now, why is that? How does it get there? I believe the reason that many of the churches that are closing in our nation and in our world every year, that by the thousands, is because they've drifted away from the place where God wanted them to be into a place that God never intended. How's that happen? Because we just kind of get comfortable in filthy faith. We just get comfortable in it. My daughter and son-in-law and my grandchildren went to Myrtle Beach this week, and they got online and found a hotel. And, man, it looked good. I mean, it looked good. So they made reservations. They got down there. It was not what they thought. 
when they rolled up in there, the place was nasty. It just smelled like smoke. There were three what I'll call sleazies hanging out in the swimming pool. You know, an old sled, old vehicle, beat up vehicle parked in the parking lot. And they were like, we ain't staying here. Now those people, they seemed comfortable enough, seemed to be good enough for them, slouching around in the swimming pool, you know. But for Caitlin and Max and the kids, it wasn't that good. They had to find someplace else. Now what's the difference? How, did, how are, is this one group so comfortable in that and another group not? Because we get comfortable in filth. I, I'm embarrassed by it. My office is right back there. Tim Stallings, our executive pastor, says it's not an office. It's a storage room with a desk in it. Okay? Now, it ain't all my junk. I got some junk. But everybody in the church, for some reason, will put this in this room because there's a vacant spot. There's everything under the sun back there, okay? And I'm embarrassed, but you know what? I come in here and do my job, sit at my desk. I'm, I've become comfortable in that storage room with a desk in it, all right? That's how it happens, and it happens in our faith journey. We just drift, and we land where we're not supposed to be, and, we, and it becomes no longer the celebration that it's supposed to be. Number two, a cleaning Sometimes things just need a deep cleaning, right? Uh, Jesus is coming into town. The temple was built to represent his presence. And he's been there before, but this time it's different. His, his mission, his revealing as the Messiah has been inaugurated. He's performing miracles, and he shows up. Man, this is not the guest you want for dinner I, never, I learned a valuable lesson many, many years ago when Kendra and I got married 34 years ago. Never bring anybody home unless you ask her first. Any husbands in here that ex feel my pain on that, all right? I had a guy, and, and listen, I'll tell you, this is how valuable. This guy's wife had burned up in a fire. I don't care what happened to her. I don't care if she got eaten up by mad dogs. Don't bring her, don't bring him home unless you check with mama, all right? And so... Now, this guest that's coming to dinner is Jesus coming to the temple that was built to represent him and his presence. And so he shows up, and that's where we're at. Listen to verse 14. So Jesus now comes to the temple courts, and he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers sitting at tables. So Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple courts with the sheep and the oxen. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned the tables to those who sold the doves. He said, take these things away from here and do not make my father's house a marketplace. And his disciples then remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will devour me. Now, you say, well, this is not necessarily a miracle. I mean, you said this is miracle number two. This is miracle number two, okay? Let me tell you what doesn't happen. The greatest day on the Jewish calendar is happening. And there's people in there who are selling animals. Now, let me explain. If you live some distance away from Jerusalem and you were going to come to the feast of the Passover and you wanted a sacrificial animal, it was unlikely that you would try to travel with your animal, whether it's a, a calf or a lamb or birds or whatever. So they had a system, and it was acceptable that when you show up, you just bring money and you purchase a good um, sacrificial animal for your family. And it was acceptable 
behavior. Nothing wrong with that. Not only that, but people came from different cultures, and the only money that could be, that could be um, used to purchase these animals were Jewish coins. So if you came with a different currency, you would have to exchange uh, your currency for Jewish currency. Very acceptable. But on this day, it wasn't outside and down the road. It's right up close in the temple courts. What's called the court of Gentiles, a big gathering area. They had the animals in there. They had the tables in there. They were exchanged. It had become, listen, a flea market. That's what it had become. And when the animals, listen, if you take the animals to church, you know what the animals bring with them? Yeah. And they leave some of it behind. Now you know what I'm talking about. What was designed and implemented to represent the holiness and the perfect uh, perfection and the glory of God being the temple, now it had become like a, just a, a petting zoo and a flea market. And so Jesus comes in there, and often people say, well, Jesus, you know, people, I think they misread this. They, they misread this as if Jesus is this mean, angry person. Okay, so I brought, the Bible says he went in and first thing he did, he knocked all the change off the table. I didn't bring change, I started to bring change, knock it off the table just so you could hear it, but I didn't want to have to pick it up myself, so I didn't do it, okay? But I did bring this little table. If Jesus didn't demonstrate anger, listen, he didn't have folding tables that they picked up over at Sam's last week, okay? He didn't go over and chunk, 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 fold them and stack them. That's not what he's doing. The Bible says that he went in and he turned over the tables. Now watch this, there's many tables. Tens of thousands of people sacrificing tens of thousands of sacrificial animals and currency exchangers everywhere, many multiple tables. I have one small table. Listen to this. Okay, you get the picture? You get the picture? That's one table. Here's where the miracle happens. A guy rolls into town named Jesus. He's a 30-year-old Jewish man run-of-the-mill. He doesn't look special. He's just a Jewish man who's on a mission. And when he comes into town, he's going to roll in to the greatest feast that the Jews have. Millions of people around, and he's going to take control. I preach every Sunday, and we live in a very broken world. People who are willing to do the dumbest things to prove a point, they'll shoot you, they'll blow you up, whatever it is. I have peoples here, okay? outside who are watching for our protection every week trained people watching so some nut doesn't come in here and try to hurt us not only that I got people in here who are packing firearms right now they're probably sitting right next to you I might have I don't have one if anything bad ever happens I'm diving in that baptistry right there okay I don't want to be shot by the bad guy or the good guy okay so I'm hitting the dirt all right now here's the thing if somebody wants to come in here and take charge, it's going to be a fight, and it's going to get ugly real fast. No, I don't, no, I don't have to fight that fight. i got people fight that fight for me, and I love it, okay? No, it would have been no different, no different. The biggest day on the Jewish calendar, and a guy comes in and says, hey, this is not right, scatters the coins, starts taking the tables and turning them over. The Bible says he had taken cords of rope because there's no doubt ropes everywhere because they had their animals tied up. He took the ropes, he began to braid them and make a rope and he just started swinging it. Get this junk out of here, okay? Sometimes people paint Jesus in the most confused light. Like he's some mamby 
namby-pamby, soft, uh, uh, spineless, weak uh, Savior. No, that's wrong. Listen, Jesus was a man, a man of God, a man who was God, a God-man. And so when something grieves him to the point that the, that the righteous anger comes out, he ain't messing around, all right? So we went in, he cleaned house. Now, his idea of cleaning was real cleaning. Sometimes we get cleaning confused. I've been married for 34 years. I still don't understand clean. Amen, Kendra? Kendra, every time she starts to clean, it's like either the president or Jesus is coming. I mean, would you mind doing me a favor? What? Would you take this rag and get on this ladder and wipe the top of the trim around the window? No. Okay. I mean, it's not that bad, but it's close. Don't you act like it's not. Okay. I, how, how bad? How clean does it need? Okay. I squeegee the glass door in our shower every day. Anybody else in here want to say you're doing that? Men of God? Anybody? Okay. I'll own it. I squeegee the shower door. Okay. Why? Because her idea of cleaning is serious. When Jesus showed up to this temple... The house that was supposed to represent his presence and who he was, the holiness, the greatness of who he was. He was serious and he was upset and he cleaned this temple out. Now, it's a miracle because out of the voice of authority, he commanded them all to leave. Do you understand what that says about Jesus? Do you understand the power and authority that came from his voice. In case you don't get it, look back at his voice about 6,000 years ago when he formed and fashioned everything that exists. You know that was Jesus. Scripture says everything was made by, for, and through him. Jesus was the one speaking everything into existence. He's God. And so now that same Jesus that said stars shine Stars, I number you, I name you, I command you to shine. That same voice now walks into the temple, swinging a rope, a few strands of cord in the hands of an angry God. Things change. And so he cleaned up this place. So we have a celebration, and now we got a cleaning because it didn't look like it was supposed to. Now, I need you to brace for impact because we're going to clarify the whole idea of the temple. Okay, so point number three is a clarification. We're going to unpack the temple, okay? Because it's real easy to say, yeah, man, back in the day when they had a temple, yeah, Jesus was serious about his temple. Yeah, that's what Jesus should have done. He should have cleaned up that filthy temple, right? That's what we do, okay? It's easy to talk about it past tense as if it's some inanimate object in the past. But listen what happens. I want you to know, what the real temple is. I want you to know that in the Old Testament, often, whether it's patriarchs or individuals, or something like the temple, or a sacrifice, or a cleansing, or a tabernacle, or whatever you want to look at in the Old Testament, most of the time it is a type, a model, an example of the greater reality that's to come. So what is the greater reality to the temple? What is the greater reality to the house of God? Okay, well, Acts chapter 17 will begin there, verse 24. 
The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by hand. Well, then where does he live? Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Those of us who are saved, born again, that received Jesus to save us, okay, we're no longer aliens and strangers to God. It says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into, watch this, a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It says when you are adopted into the kingdom through what Jesus has done on the cross, you are now part of that dwelling. And so out of everybody in here, many of us are saved, some of us are not, some may be confused, but there are people in here who are born again, saved by Jesus' sacrifice, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and indwelled with his presence. You and I are part of the house, the temple of God. It, 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 it's so much better than what brick and stones, uh, brick and wood made years ago. You're not convinced. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So let me ask you this. Do you believe there's any exceptions to this? Can somebody be a child of God? Can somebody say that they're a Christian? Can somebody know with certainty that they're going to heaven when they die and not be filled with the Spirit and not be part of the kingdom? You answered correctly. Whoever said no. Listen to what it says, Romans 8. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Man, it's just this simple. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're out or you're in. And, and there is no gray area. And if you're in, the, the Spirit of God lives in you and you are his holy temple. That's why Jesus is so serious about the temple. And that's why it's, it's so important that you understand the magnitude of you being his household. So, so I was writing this, and this, working on this message, and I wrote this. So here's the question. Is your house a house fit for a king? Is, is your life, is your body, is your temple, listen to this, a house of God? And when I typed it in there, I noticed something. God spelled backwards his dog. So I put this, are you and your life a house of God or a doghouse? Because sometimes even Christians live a life that looks more like a doghouse than it does a God house. And so we have to be serious about it. And that's why Jesus went in and flipped tables and started swinging his whip, running them all out. Because what was the temple, the house of God, had become a doghouse. So we got a celebration, a cleaning, and a clarification what, so what do we do? What do we do? Well, the fourth point is a challenge for your temple. We have a challenge for your temple. We have opportunity now to consider what our house looks like. 
So to do this, let me help you understand something. This is kind of cool. I didn't see it coming. I didn't plan this to be this day when we were having communion. We're not having communion because we're reading about the feast of the Passover. We're having communion, in case you didn't know, because it's the fifth Sunday. There's four, four months in the year that have five Sundays, and we do uh, communion on the fifth Sundays. And then we do it at Easter. We do it at Christmas, some other times, but we, we get them in on those days. Okay? So on this particular day, we're studying about Jesus, and he goes to the feast of the Passover. Three years later, he would experience his last feast of the Passover in bodily form. Because on Passover day, he would be crucified on a cross. And so the Bible says that on the night before the day he would be crucified, which was Passover feast day, he has supper with his boys. Okay, He has supper with his followers, with his closest disciples. It is in that night, in that, at that meal, uh, that he would be uh, betrayed by Judas. And so I was thinking about this, that here we are talking about Passover. And the day before Passover was when Jesus was, was betrayed. And then it's communion day, the day that we remember what it is that Jesus has done and then it dawned on me how do we challenge the temple how do we inspect the temple and ask a question if Jesus showed up with this what would he do and I forgot but we passed out ropes who's got a rope in here hold your rope up if you didn't get a rope it's okay you pretend like you've got one okay And you can pick one up if you want one at the end. The reason I pass these ropes out is because I want us to think for a second. If Jesus showed up in your temple today, and he's there already, but if he started swinging his whip around, what is it in your temple that Jesus would desire to whip away? What is it in your temple that Jesus would desire to turn over? What is it in your temple that is not what God designed your temple to be? And you say, well, that's a little personal. No, it's not. It's all of us. Every single one of us. Look at your neighbor. He's talking to you. Tell him. He's talking to you. Yes, I am. Now look at me and say, you're talking to yourself. I am. I'm talking to me. My temple has things in it. And I've already cleansed some in the first service, and all week long, I'm going to do it again. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. I want to invite my ushers to come forward. And we're getting ready to take communion. Okay? Um, I just want to keep it very simple. Man, don't come up. We'll just do this just like this. I want it to be be solitude. I want it to be serious. I I want it to be thoughtful. And I want you to understand where the challenge comes from. Here's the challenge. In the next few minutes, I want you to pray that God will reveal what thing it is in your temple that he would like to turn over or whip away? Why is this so important? Because talking about communion and taking communion, remembering what Jesus has done, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. This is why it's important that you ask God to clean your temple. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in in so doing, 
he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. And if he does not judge the body rightly, for this reason many among you are weak and sick and some have died. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Do you know what Paul's saying? He's saying when we come to the Lord's table to remember what it is he's done for us, we need to be very serious about the condi condition of our soul. That we need to be very aware that Jesus is serious about our temple. And if we're going to say, oh, Jesus, I'm taking this bread, I'm taking this wine to remind me of what a great thing you've done for me and dying for a cross and on a cross and forgiving my sin and giving me life abundant free now and giving me an eternal home with you in heaven and, th and then meanwhile live like hell. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So Paul's saying, listen, if you're going to remember what he's done, you better be sure that you're allowing him to do all that he wants to do in your life. So here's what we're going to do in just a minute. We're going to have a time. I'm going to invite you just to pray and ask God, God, what is the thing in my life that you would whip away and turn over? And when he gives us that, we can give it right back to him. We can say, Father, I hear you speaking into my soul. I give it to you. I don't want this in my life anymore. I lay it down. I repent of that thing. I'm not sorry that I'm caught. I'm sorry I ever did it. And I repent of that, and I'm going to walk away from that. Because in turning from that, I'm turning to you, not to go pick it up tomorrow, but to lay it down once and for all. Because why? Because now as much or more than ever, I realize the greatness of what you did in coming from heaven and laying your perfect body on a cross and dying in my place. So after we've prayed that prayer, I invite you just to stand up and come down to one of these tables, the Lord's tables here, both sides. And if you've never been here before, this is what it looks like. It looks like one cup, but there's two cups. In the bottom cup is your bread, and then the top cup will be your wine or your juice. And you just take that back to your seat, and then I'll give you further instructions. So if you'll bow your heads and begin to pray. And ask God what that is. And when you've made that right, just get up out of your seat and come forward and get your cups. Father, we thank you for this time. Jesus, we thank you for doing what you did. That you loved the unlovable. And you demonstrated with the greatest possible gift ever designed. Your holy, perfect life for our sinful, pitiful life. And God, when you saved us, you came in to dwell 
and take up abode in us. God, forgive us for not being good temples, for not making good houses for you. Moving forward, help us continue to clean the house that you dwell in, which is our life. Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being merciful. Thank you for reminding us about your expectation in our life, in Jesus' name.